It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to our agriculture conversations here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. Today finds us having a conversation in the lobby of the Billings Livestock Commission as the summertime classic of the Northern Livestock Video Auction is underway. Uh, first off, we would just like to thank our sponsors of today's show, that being Sylvia's Insurance, our friends Jared and Gordon Clark, uh, reminding producers about all those opportunities for pasture, range, and forage, PFR insurance. Those deadlines are coming up this fall. Make sure to visit them online at rainins.com. But Hey, there's folks from all over the countryside here for the video auction. Over 120,000-some cattle offered here this week. And uh, joining us is an individual that uh, hails from the state of Wyoming but now calls Nebraska home. Trey Wasserberger joins us. And, uh, Trey, uh, what's it like being up in Montana here today? Yeah, Lane, thanks for having me on. Um, You know, a lot different from last year, no doubt. Even we're seeing this in video sale today. These deliveries are a lot later. You know, a lot of these yearlings are coming off in September instead of July like last year. It's green. Uh, so, yeah, feed's going to be a little cheaper and make a little hay, and it looks good up here. No, it does, and uh, I tell you what, the yearling market is on fire here today, and yeah. it, that's great to see. We we saw some sheep sell yeah. earlier or didn't sell. Uh, really, a lot of pressure on that market here yep. as of late. Yeah, talk about a flip-flop. Remember how strong it was last year? Lambs were... And uh, now it's completely flopped. You know, coffee sell their steers today, nine seventy five at two o two, and that's so we were laughing. That's nineteen one thousand nine hundred seventy five dollars. And I sold fat cattle on Monday that weighed thirteen hundred at a dollar forty. Yeah, they bring eighteen fifty. So yeah. we're selling. There's some yearlings bringing more than fat cattle right yeah. now. So that tells you the optimism out there. And it's it's also great to see just these lighter calves also start bringing a premium again because mm-hmm. the last several years. Um, people wanted those heavier calves, so it was less input. But uh, especially in your country, what are you hearing from feeders on those lighter calves? Same, you know. Uh, I'm surprised. Uh, corn's down 20 cents overnight tonight, and uh, there's a lot of pressure on the corn market, and a lot of people acting like their cost of gains won't be as high. And you know, a lot of these cattle last year saw eight dollar corn the whole time. Yep. They never did see a cheap uh, corn market, and so. If you got the opportunity today to lock in your corn, and uh, you can kind of, there's a little money on that board. Yep. Um, it looks pretty good. The corn crop looks phenomenal through Nebraska, and, and the big eyes. That's real important. Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa. Um, I think we're just going to be a bumper. I personally think there's going to be a big corn crop, yep. and uh, that leaves a lot of room for cattle to go up. Does that projection from USDA concern you a little bit that we're going to be exporting a lot more, that the global market's going to be consuming more of that? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, the strong dollar is kind of going to be a problem. I was just in the U.K. a couple months ago working on a trade deal, and, you know, with our strong dollar, it's really hard to, to trade uh, into these export markets. But, um, you know, South, uh, South America is really dry. And uh, so is uh, Asia. Uh, there could be a lot of corn yep. hitting some boats here. Yeah, when I was down to Argentina a few weeks back, yeah, right. it was very, that was one thing they talked about is their, I, I, the best way to call it, spring wheat, uh, spring corn and winter corn, similar to their cropping systems right. uh, of our spring wheat, winter wheat. And that was one of their big issues down there. And they that was interesting. You know, you, you talk up trade deals. They had a president elected that a few years back that pretty much cut off all their trade they weren't exporting any beef and argentina is known for beef and so when i was meeting with those producers down there it was 
pretty interesting yeah. talking with them in terms of their market had just been reopened by their newly elected president. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that created an opportunity for the U.S. export totally. market. But I, I do want to talk about exports and those okay. opportunities and mm-hmm. how genetics play a role in that, because I know that's really where your expertise is. But uh, uh, referencing another podcast that I hosted, the Cattleman's Call podcast, I had the opportunity to uh, catch up with Mr. Bill Rischel. Yeah. And, uh, and Bill, of course, a great leader in uh, the nation's cattle groups, yep. whether yep. at the state county and and national group and uh, that's where i truly got to understand more about uh, your operation that you're currently on uh and, and of course it's really awesome to hear transitional stories that yeah. are that are successful and, and evolving but uh, before we jump into your operation there in nebraska let's just talk about growing up in wyoming yeah where, where did you grow up at your background there so my family homesteaded in the early 1900s in lusk and uh and then I graduated from uh, univer- or I graduated from Campbell County High School, and then went to the University of Wyoming, and uh, met my wife there. And you know, it's it's a different way to ranch. Really, it's funny going to Nebraska, and Nebraska is a great state for the beef because they got feed and water, yeah. and uh, a moderate climate too. And so I'm I was blessed to be able to have an opportunity to buy one of the longest standing cow herds in Nebraska. That's uh, heavily influenced by high marbling and um, you know feeder cattle really <laughs> and Bill Rischel gave me that out Bill and Barb Rischel gave us that opportunity so this is our fifth year that was in 2017 and if you remember 2016 and 17 <laughs> it was a rough uh-huh. uh, cattle market and, and yep. uh, I was I was blessed I remember I one of the first people I called was Joe Goggins and asked him what I should do and he said he absolutely do it um, this is a cow herd that's uh, been cold extensively and, and put through the ringer and got a lot of reputation involved in it and so we were lucky bill and barb gave us the opportunity to buy it and um man we've had a lot of fun yeah well, uh, well you know you mentioned you went to wyoming were, yeah. were you a little nervous when montana state almost beat wyoming last yeah. fall on that money game there was a little pressure there and uh you know <laughs> it was a good wake-up call for wyoming because they played pretty good after that yeah uh, but uh it's not like uh, montana's a slouch either so well, Montana is. Montana State's better. Yeah, excuse me. Montana yeah, State. I mean, I shouldn't, we're not yeah. talking about the Grizzlies. No, 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 no. Montana Sorry. <laughs> I guess what what is it like, though? It, like, for myself, I don't live in the town that I grew up in. Yeah. And that's tough not knowing the neighbors or knowing that, well, this person's related to this person, so don't talk about, the, you know, this yeah. subject or whatnot. You know, that's different moving from one part of Montana um, to, a, to a different state. What what has that transition been like yes. the last five years? So, I've actually been in Nebraska eight years. I got out of there right out of college. I went to work for actually my wife's dad, who runs a feed yard. Okay, and you're right. So I've lived there eight years, and I'm still meeting people. <laughs> like it's awful. I'll go to an event or a wedding, and they're like, "Yeah, we border you to the east." And I'm like, "Geez, sorry, I don't." I'm, I mean, so that's a hard uh, transition, no yeah. doubt. And you know, Bill left, and he went to Lincoln, and, yep. and which is really. Uh, terrifying at the time because I'd never owned a registered cow and uh, never even worked on a registered ranch. I was a commercial guy and, and still am. You know, I'm selling some yearlings here today. and uh, That was terrifying, but he always had his phone on, and I just kind of had to learn baptism by fire. And yeah. uh, You know, he always talks about the most of the best. You know, just make them have the most of the best. Genotype, phenotype, make your cow herd right, and you'll take care of these guys. And 
we started the feed test too, where we buy some cattle back and, and actually get some invaluable data uh, on our genetics. And so we're just trying to have some. So my problem with the register business was accountability. Yeah. You know, we all love selling ten thousand dollar bulls. Hell, we love selling five hundred twenty-five thousand dollar bulls. But the problem is there needs to be accountability yep. and uh, along the supply chain. And that's why I got into the bull business. And I, I, I really wanted to make a difference for my, my commercial customers and prove it. <laughs> so it's been fun. You know, we buy a lot of cattle from our customers and, and uh, feed a lot. And, yeah, it's just turned into a whole supply chain almost. Yep. It's been a lot of fun. What uh, There's a lot of young folks out there looking to add value to their operations or, or start different. And, 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 like, myself, I've bought a lot of purebred Angus cattle, but mm-hmm. not... Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I haven't kept the papers mm-hmm. on them. What What are some tips that you have for producers out there, I guess of all ages, that have really good genetics? Yeah. That maybe that they haven't taken that step or they think they don't have the time to to run a registered herd. What well, I guess what are the pros and cons with that? You know, the registered herd is in a, an insane amount of book work. I mean, my wife, Dana, does all the book work, and she's in that office four or five times a week. Um, it's insurmountable, um, and so that's tough to get over. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of commercial customers that don't like to do their gap paperwork. Um, can you imagine? So we're running about a thousand purebred cows, and registering and genomicing every calf. Uh, it's a ton of paperwork. Mm-hmm. But I always tell, I always have young guys or and women ask me, how do I get started in this business? What, what can I do to, uh, to get going? And my, I always tell them like, you better love what you're doing. I mean, yep. you better be passionate because this is not easy and droughts and pandemics mm-hmm. and psych bomb cyclones and wars and trade wars and i mean look at it's the turmoil that cannabis has been through in the last yep. five years yep. and so you got to be able to withstand that and have the fortitude and, and the adversity to to get up and go to bed in the morning and and, and uh you know go to work should, should um, we get a microphone for greg no he's on the mic enough uh. <laughs> he, he talks enough yeah <laughs> He, he might he might come over and join us, but. And, and and we are uh, we're watching these lots. So we're on seven forty six right now, Trey, because I know you got okay. you got some yeah. coming up here shortly. So we'll take a commercial break when that comes up. But, um, you know, we we look at that. And last week you shared that video of Superior Livestock and uh, yeah. one of your clients and the the calves that come directly from your genetic the genetic uh reputation of of your cattle herd and what was that eight weights at 218 is that what they brought yeah what what was that like watching that those 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 feeders or yearlings excuse me sell so there's like a feeder cattle index as as you're aware of and those are the highest price feeder cattle that have been sold in the last six years and i was lucky to be there in cheyenne at superior I kind of run the break even on all natural, and I thought maybe they'd bring two to 205. And a lot of things, I've had a lot of, so that video has been viewed 10,000 times mm-hmm. on Facebook. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that seen it. Yep. And I always, I got a lot of inquiries like, what, what happened? And my advice is a lot of it was reputation. Um, these people are honest people. Rusty and Rachel Camp, um, they, they understand how way up and how it works, and they, they keep a part of the supply chain, and then obviously their genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they come to our bull sale and they laugh. They're like, well, I just can't afford a $10,000 bull. And Rusty Camp bought um, bulls last year in our sale for undersell average. Yeah. And that's a, that was a huge deal for me. I was like, you don't have to be a $10,000 yeah. bull guy to, to move the needle in your genetics. Um, but, you know, he's, he's buying a five dollars $6,000 bull, and look what he did. Um, so reputation, genetics was huge. Uh, conditions, it just was a perfect storm. And uh, we were we we're glad to be a part. We had breakfast with them Sunday before I left, and we're still just enamored. Mm-hmm. And I've never, 
I've never seen all natural cattle get in a fight like that. <laughs> I, there was four people in past two ten. Yeah, and it was a slugfest. I thought we were done. And yeah, um, one of the most prominent all natural buyers shook them off twice, and then came back, and then shook them off. I mean, those cattle gain well, and and a lot of it was. People asked me what happened, and I showed them kill sheets from Rusty's cattle. Mm-hmm. Rusty's got paperwork from the last ten years. He follows his cattle all the way through, and then provides that. Uh, these cattle were killed at Creekstone. Cattle gained a four pound, you know, as it all natural, and were twenty to thirty percent prime and 98 percent choice in prime. Yep, that pays, and uh, that's real data. And when we look at that data and the paperwork, it, so obviously in my line of work, I see a lot of back and forth on ag Twitter mm-hmm. and on Facebook, and there's been. A lot of challenges in the cattle markets. Yeah. Uh, we know with the Packers, yep. um, uh, th- there's been a lot of work, obviously, on transparency in the marketplace uh, over the last several years. That ongoing investigation into the 2019 Holcomb fire, yep. it, it, and I understand, like, if it's a Department of Justice investigation, you can't say anything. Yep, I, I, I get that. But a lot of people will just say, well, the cattle market's down and I'm, I'm losing my tail. And there's a lot of factors that could go into that that uh, statement that they make. But I know a lot of producers that once their calves are shipped out. See ya. It, yeah. And, and some of those same people are, are, are saying we should be making more money. Mm-hmm. And again, this is, this is a generalization. It's yep. not all producers out there. I'm almost setting up a scenario where if people are complaining about what the price they're receiving you know, over the past few years, not not this summer, the prices are very, very good That's here awesome. at the video sale. But the importance of keeping track and working with whoever buys those cattle Absolutely. and the genetics. Absolutely. What, what, what do you tell people, especially young people our age yeah. that are looking at that? You know, I hate that. I hate that saying, it's not my problem. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many deliveries I've been on and a sick calf gets on the truck or, um, you, and I, I work with the packer every day. So I'm not a, I'm not mad at the packer or malicious of what they're doing. I think they're doing a phenomenal job of trying to kill cattle with mm-hmm. what they got. Yep. This labor deal is a huge issue to them, and they can't keep it staffed. And and you know what? Go try to hire 800 people right now. With inflation at 20, you know, there's nothing we haven't touched that's mm-hmm. inflated. And and so hiring, it's a tough job. It's incredibly hard to be a meat cutter, and it's physical physical labor. And I always tell my guys, I said, you guys have to take whether you like what's going on in this industry you have to take care of the guy that's writing you a check yep. those people care and i hate the saying it's not my problem well it is and i i saw actually yesterday an example a guy that has always bought this guy's calves and he didn't come back and the guy asked me well where did where was he at what happened i said did you ever call him after did you ask him how they did no i didn't but when we got done they were sick i said well you need to take care of that guy. Yep. And he's like, well, he's a feeder. He's he's all right. I'm like, no, we have to take care of each other along the supply chain. There's got to be accountability from the seed stock guy that's providing the bulls to the genetics, you know, to the cow-calf guy, to the feeder, the backer. And then, really, you have to tie in the retailer, too. Yep. Whether we like it or not, um, I had a I had a discussion this morning about carbon sequestration. Yeah. And it's they're saying it's BS. I said the retailer, that's all they want to talk about. Yeah. And they are writing our check. And we need to have an actual conversation with them and sit down and have an educated and present ourselves. Because if we don't tell our story, somebody else will. And that's a bad, bad scenario. 
it's it's interesting all the the different podcasts I host from my, this one, my yeah. Lancast. It's personally my own to the to the Cattleman's Call that that I host as well. The most popular shows are sustainability. Oh yeah. Over the past year, Wildfire was the biggest show. I, I interviewed. Uh, Mark Rober out of uh, Colorado. He's uh, 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 an officer in the Public Lands Ca- National Public Lands Council, past president of Colorado Cattlemen's. And we talked about wildfire and wildfire management. One of the top podcasts was just wildfire because non-ag people were listening oh, sure. to the role that cattle and sheep play in that. So we got cool sustainability, um, wildfire. Um, during the pandemic, our top shows were uh, direct to consumer. Oh, sure. That, that was, was huge. That was huge then. Yeah. And, uh, and then sustainability. And then tying into that is environmental stewardship. No and doubt. Those are, those are, and this is within the ag audience. So, and podcasts are a traditionally younger audience, yep. too. So w- when you look at carbon sequestration, do you have concerns with it as well? Or what, what is, and if you had the perfect opportunity to shape what that's going to be, what, what are the pros and cons? Yeah. So I've had been very blessed to be on some trade missions. I actually go back to the UK in uh, a month in London and uh, also Ireland. And uh, this is what I always tell them. So I had a meeting with a retailer one time and I said, hey, what, what's, what's your thoughts on climate change and the sustainability and, and where do you think this is going? He goes, Trey, the, the, the earth is a billion years old and it, the climate has always been changing. And so without getting scientific of who's right and who's wrong, the conversation is what are you doing to prove that you're sustainable? Mm-hmm. And me as a producer, and I try to tell my also my customers that our job is not to prove that we are sustainable. We need to show that, you know, my family's been in the ranching for 100 years. Mm-hmm. That's sustainable. We're a fifth generation. Um, I've moved into a, another family operation that'll be, I'm a fifth generation in the Olsons, and uh, that's sustainable to me, and we need to prove that. Like, there's no one that takes care of this ground better than a rancher. And we need to have that conversation and prove it. Um, it's not just one thing to say, we're going to do this in the future and capture carbon and sell it for carbon credits. And I don't think that's the conversation we need to have today because that's not what the retailer mm-hmm. wants. The retailer wants to know if you're being taking care of your livestock yep. and, the, and, the, and the world around it. And guess what? We are. And we have been for hundreds of years. We just need, we just need to have that conversation yep. and show them. And with social media today, you can have the, you can you can click a picture and say, you know, look at this dam that we built or, you know, look at this tree break we put in. I mean, yep. we have that audience today yep. and use it. It's a great opportunity. We're on lot 750, by the way. I'm watching that. Okay. So again, we're, we're, we're making sure that uh, Trey doesn't miss the lots he came to watch and, yeah. and his cattle himself here yeah. at the video auction. Got about eight lots. So, um, so uh, interesting as we talk about that is I mentioned I was down in Argentina and I don't know if you that 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 big brand new livestock facility. Yeah, it was awesome. You know, Forty six different livestock Crazy. markets. I've, I've got I don't know how many million impressions because other entities have now shared that video, and so it's the outreach is it's huge. A, it's huge, and, and that and it, it flatters me honestly. The people were interested. And it was free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's free content. You know, go buy a Super Bowl ad today. Yeah, for thirty million. Yeah, or don't tell know. my sponsors that. No. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I forgot we got about to sell ads. But but um, no, exactly. When when you look at that reach, I always like when it's positive ag news. Absolutely, that gets pushed. But like all those cattle that died of heat stress down south there, it went, that story moved so fast. Got out of hand. And it brought a negative light 
on agriculture. Absolutely. And there's a lot of folks like oh, in the industry that were unsure about what happened, but there's a lot of or, uh, animal rights groups that were like, this is what they do to their cattle. That's right. Um, that's a classic example. And so we, we run a feed yards as well. And that's a classic example of a 20 second video that can ruin yep. a market. Yep. And we always tell our guys, you need to be careful. I don't care if it's on Snapchat. I don't care what kind of social media you're on. You need, and in the packing houses, we're very, very conscious of what we're letting get out there because it can, can be misconstrued in a terrible way. That, I know I know exactly what happened in that deal, and it was 105 degrees and no wind, and the water didn't keep up. That's all that happened. And it was a wreck. I talked to the guy who had him insured, I mean, he was an insurance agent. And it was a bad deal, yep. but it just got a bad twist to it because somebody got a hold of it. Yep. You know, some hired, some hired guy that works at the feed yard took a video of it, and it, you know, they've had massive problems. Yep. PETA showed up there. Um, they've been called awful, awful things on social media. And that's, you're exactly right. We just have to frame and, and shape the narrative yep. in a positive way. Yep. So be, if any producers are out there, be conscientious of what you're putting on social media because it can be taken a different way. When people don't know, they make up their own line, yep. their own narrative. And yep. so we need to be careful with that. When I was down in Argentina at that stockyards, do you need to run in there? No, nah, we're good. Give me about five um, minutes. It was amazing to see all the yellow RFID tags. Oh, in yeah. All the cattle's ears down there. Yep. In that facility we were at, it was direct to slaughter. They ran 8,000 head through in three hours, and they, they all went to slaughter. They had their own local markets, like, sure. like Billings Livestock here. I, I, I guess what is – that's a big discussion in agriculture, RFID and traceability. How, how does that fit into your operation or narrative when you're talking with consumers or looking at the traceability discussion in today's world? I've learned from the retailer and from the consumer. So you got to understand the consumer's telling the retailer what they want and the retailer can sell what the consumer wants. You got to understand people, people don't need beef. They want it. Mm -hmm. That's different. They don't need, they need a car, you know, they don't need beef. They want it. And we have to shape that narrative. So I always tell them, you know, I've got some customers that don't like the idea. This is a government and there's a whole conspiracy theory guys. There is nothing that makes a consumer happier yep. than seeing green grass, Angus cows, and a young family out on their ranch. They love that image. And if you can put an EID, you know, those 800-pound uh, steers at 218, you know, what, you know where they're going? They got, they're going to be exported mm -hmm. because they're, I guarantee they go to, don't quote me on this, but they're going to Southeast Asia. I, I can almost guarantee it. I went to went over there and they about damn near bought the jeans off me. I mean, they love this image that we have. Yep. And it's, if they can sit there in Tokyo and buy a steak and hit a QR code and it takes you back to Rusty and Rachel Kemp's ranch and try on Nebraska, they will want that yep. product yep. and they will pay for it. EID is a very, very valuable asset. And you gotta understand it's a very, it's an evolving technology. I was talk, texting a guy this morning about facial recognition in cattle and how we're working with that. This, this technology is moving so fast. We have to keep up. Is USDA, is their process too slow to try and keep up, or is it just going to be a voluntary approach to a lot of this? I don't, I don't believe in any mandates, any mandatory mm -hmm. at all. I, I, I firmly fight that on any level. Yep. Um, I work very closely with the USDA and saying, you guys, the less government, our lives, the better. And we're better at our job when yep. we're not looking over our shoulder at Big Brother. Yep. 
And actually, this administration has actually been great about reaching out and having these conversations. They want the EID deal because that's what the consumer wants. Mm-hmm. But don't make us do it. Yeah. I mean, you, that's like saying everybody in here has got to be gap. Yep. No, we're not going to do that. Yep. Um, we are very individual thinkers and idealistic people so, and very, very independent. Let them be that way. Yep. If you want to be progressive and sell 800-pound yearlings for 218, yep. you're going to have to do these things. Yep. So... Well, Trey, I'm yeah. going to give you the I'll be chance. Back. Uh, we're going to take a commercial break and thank our sponsors, uh, Gordon Jared Clark with Sylvia. So we'll be back with Trey Wasserberger after uh, these uh, cattle set a new record here in just a little so. bit. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Thanks, buddy. We'll be right back after this. Jared and Gordon Clark with Sylvia's Insurance Group are on a mission to help producers manage risk, whether that is a lack of rainfall or volatile prices. We're here to open up the toolbox and find a tool that helps you focus on your risk. We can then visualize how that solution can be integrated with your operation. To learn more, visit raininscom Sylvia's Insurance, enriching the lives of farmers and ranchers by managing risk. All right, uh, we're, we're coming back from the break, but uh, Trey, Trey Wasserberger is indisposed for a moment. So uh, Mr. Ty Thompson joins us. Uh, Ty, uh, how's the video sale season uh, going here? I, obviously, we're in our summertime uh, classic sale right now, but uh, what's it been like selling these uh, higher steers and yearlings? Oh, this, uh, you know, the calf deal yesterday was excellent, 30 to $40 a hundred higher than last year. This yearling deal this morning has been real strong. This summertime classic over the last four or five years has developed into probably one of the premier summertime yearling sales uh, of all the country, and it's proven itself once again here today. Uh, we've just, just had a tremendous market. Uh, uh, the yearlings just continue to get higher, and we've got really good demand i mean you got phone bidders you got internet bidders you got guys in and uh and they have a lot of faith buying these yearlings this high but i think they know we're going to be short of them and uh, obviously you and i talked about it after the first sale and we we saw yesterday with those uh, calves there's that spread between the steers and the heifers and it it should start to to narrow a little more but uh when when we look at I'm thinking of like the blue ribbon sale that you guys will host this fall. I think mm-hmm. bred cows. If it when it if and when it rains, this bred cow market and folks that are selling uh, yearlings, uh, yearling heifers, it's going to be a great opportunity when we start expanding our herd again. Oh yeah, and I think we're right there at the expansion phase if uh, Mother Nature cooperates and if the economy cooperates. You know, there's a lot. There's probably more unknowns in this market than we've had to deal with for quite a few mm-hmm. years. If it was just a numbers game and we knew the demand would stay good, uh, there's no limit to how high these cattle will get. But we've got quite a few factors at play. I definitely think you're going to see these bred cattle with strong, strong demand, A, because you're not going to see a lot of them, and B, you've got South Dakota, North Dakota, Montana are all uh, understocked substantially and need to, need some cattle to keep those ranches operating. And, you know, it would be nice for that herd to stay level or dip down a little bit, but... <laughs> <laughs> for for us that have been going through the drought to keep those prices higher but we we all know when 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 we start to expand again then we get overstocked and prices always you know fluctuate a little more that way but you know it's nice to see these prices and one, one question i was just a- asking trey wasserberger obviously he comes from a lot of corn country down there uh what, what are some of the concerns you're hearing from folks in, in terms of corn availability and just the the global shortage that we're going to see here this year 
You know, back back to a point you just talked about, about the uh, expansion getting fast and then the market goes down quick. I think we learned a lot of lessons from 2015, 16, 17. I don't think you'll I don't think you'll see the expansions, not just for that reason, but also because, you know, we're going through drought in the south. They're liquidating again. And we've just liquidated so many cattle. Uh, that I don't think you'll see the expansion near as fast as what we have in the past. So that'll bode well for producers. As far as the corn goes, you know, this corn this time of year is just a straight, just like going to Vegas, it's just a straight weather game and and watching. But uh, personally, I don't know that we'll see this corn get a lot cheaper than it is right now. But uh, it's definitely came off a long ways to give some people some help because if you take the corn and the fuel, those are huge inputs that have been way, way up from what we're used to. So that affects calf price. Did, did I tell you that I missed an opportunity to, to pull a good joke on Bob Cook yesterday? Oh, no. So when I walked right in yesterday morning, and he says, we're, we're having a change in direction tonight. And, I, and I, I, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, Vermilion Ranch is switching to Hereford. But he cut me off and said, your party's tonight. And I'm like, oh, I'm always up for a good party. But I'm like, that would have been the best comeback yeah. to Bob yeah. Cook. And I never got to use it. No. And if I, if I would tell him now, he'd be like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's grumpy enough. He wouldn't be able to make him laugh. <laughs> but, uh, hey, when's, when's the next uh, northern sale? So I believe we're coming up the 22nd, 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. The deadline's the 5th of August. Uh, I think it's around the tw- it's the first Monday and Tuesday there. I believe it's the 22nd, 23rd, and uh, that's right, tw- uh, tw- 22nd, 23rd, and the consignment deadline's August 5th. Uh, Red Angus will have a section yep. in there. They'll sponsor a portion of it. Uh, we always get more heifer calves on that sale. I look for this heifer market, like you were saying earlier, with this replacement female deal coming on. I look for that heifer uh, sale in August to be yep. better. And uh, we always get some really good light calves in August, too, that sell well. And speaking of the Red Angus Association, for our listeners, their national convention is actually going to be held the middle of September up in Kalispell. I'll be moderating their uh, uh, commercial producer panel that day, I think September 14th, and the convention kicks off that night and runs for the next few days. So listeners up here in the the northern part of the the west here make sure and travel over to kalispell um i've, I've only been to kalispell like three times in my life maybe yeah. maybe twice You're, it's like another part of the world isn't it oh yeah we used to ship cattle out of polson all the time <laughs> and then we'd run up there i love it over it's there. cool country it's a long ways from here though. a long ways but uh, Ty, anything else? I know you're you're running around here, and we're uh, we're waiting on Trey. I, his, his, oh yeah, he has sold two lots ago. He, he's probably getting me a coffee or something. But uh, yeah, those those Wyoming now Nebraska guys. Anything else you'd just like to share with our audience here today? Oh, I think first of all, we'd like to thank everyone for their support of Northern. Um, we've had we had a big crowd yesterday, big crowd again today, both of consigners and buyers, and. You know, our video auction is nothing more than our representatives, our consigners, and our buyers. That's basically all it is, and we just do some of the legwork. And uh, we're so appreciative of the of the support we get, and uh, we're really thankful for the great market we have, and I hope it continues. And and uh, I know it's been a tough few years, not very much profitability on these ranches, but I do think there's some coming, especially if these inputs will drop down, and I think we've got some good years ahead of us that we can enjoy some profitability. Well, again, Ty Thompson stopping by here as uh, we uh, record this uh, 
Lancast Ag Podcast from the Northern Livestock Video Auction from the Billings Livestock Commission. Uh, we'll be back with Trey Wasserberger after this, but who knows who else might might sit down here. Nor- Norm Holland already left, so I think I'm yeah. that that would have been a good Luckily. conversation. Yeah, I, it would have been a long. I don't one. know which way it would have <laughs> went, but uh, Ty, thanks for joining us. All right, thank we'll you. We'll be back after this. Well, as we come back with our conversation with Trey Wasserberger from Nebraska, uh, Trey, I was interviewing uh, Mr. Ty Thompson in between takes here. Uh, how, how did those heifers sell? Yeah, well, sold really well. Uh, a lot of buyers, too, went all over the place. And uh, Kansas, Nebraska feedlots really played in there. You know, the trucking deal is a big issue today with 550 loaded mile uh, trucking rates. So, yeah, it was good. Uh, sold some heifers from some customers and fired on a few and i thought they'd kind of bring 75 800 pound effort bring 75 and they're bringing 80 mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of optimism out there yeah. well that's good and you know we've heard a lot of guys at the uh, up here in, in in this neck of the woods talking about that spread on the heifers and, and saying, well, those feeders just don't want to drive you know they want they'll pay a premium for those steers but they still have to drive way up north to get up is there a little bit of a you know, uh, my father-in-law, he feeds only steers, but uh, and I, I, I've kind of showed him this because I run heifers, cause, yep. so we just don't have to compete. He buys the steers, I buy the heifers. Yeah. That's kind of how we just save Christmas Day, <laughs> and so it doesn't get awkward. But I've, I've showed him some kill sheets, and we've actually had some heifers win the feed test yeah. a couple categories. So um, a good uh, quality with condition and health. Uh, heifer will feed right along with the steer how much more feed are they taking because that's another you know conversion won't be the best yeah but uh you know they're back 10 to 20 dollars 100 on this on the sale today i don't uh a lot of these heifers that just sold out of nebraska uh, will make all that back oh yeah and they'll grid it they'll they'll grid their eyeballs out too so well, again, uh, we are talking, uh, we covered a lot of country there. Yeah, we did, uh, yeah. In, in only about 20 minutes. But, you know, there, there, there's just so many of us that are involved in production agriculture but not full-time, you know. No doubt. So many of us have different careers to, to pay the bills and then to be able to run livestock or farm or whatever it might be. Um, where, where do you see the family farm and ranch going in the next 10 20 years maybe a worst case scenario and best case scenario and how 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 do we create these opportunities for young people to get into the business stay in the business but actually try to just pay the the bills in the business yeah that's one of my favorite questions here and joe goggins and i talk about a lot about um you know retention of our youth in agriculture and um what i'm really really worried about i have four children as well um, this is not easy, and, and I've noticed in my short tenure that the big get bigger. And uh, if you're not progressive, if you're not innovative, um, and you're not on the front end, uh, it, it gets tough. Um, so if we want these children to come back to our to our farm ranches and continue to, you know, uh, do the most important thing for national security, which is our food supply, mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, we have to make this sustainable. And I think that that's a buzzword almost that gets overused. But we ha- we've got to uh, retain these young men and women into our industry and make it profitable. Yep. And uh, it takes good mentors. You know, you had Ty on earlier. He's, he's a partner of mine and a friend of mine and a mentor of mine. And it takes those guys to, to train us young guys because the capital expense is so huge. I mean, you're seeing 1,000-pound you're seeing, uh, uh, yearling steers today bring $1,800, $1,900 ahead. 
Um, that's a ton of money. You buy a load of them, that kind of stacks up. And then with interest rates headed in the wrong direction, you know, we're probably, that's one thing I'm really worried about as, as you know, I've only been in this a short 10 years on my own and I've never seen high interest rates. Yeah. I haven't. Yeah. And my dad and, you know, my dad and my uncles, they always say, you've never seen high interest rates. You know, dad said his first loan was 18% yeah. in the eighties. That's what my dad. Yep. Yeah. We've never seen that. No. So how do I transition my business to stay, to deal with inputs and high, you know, let's be honest, I borrow a lot of money and I have to, uh, because it takes a lot of money in this business. So how do I combat high interest rates? And I think that's just progressivism, in my opinion. Who are some of the people or groups and bankers or advisors? What's what does that Rolodex look like when you were trying to look mm. at a balance sheet and say, here, this is where I can cut costs. This is where I will not um, compromise on my costs of quality of genetics and and and, and gain and feed. What, uh, what what does that look like? The and like you said, ties a mentor. Yeah. But what what does that look like on a professional advisory team, if we want to call yeah. it that? Let's. T- so I always tell young young men and women that I have five mentors really that I can talk to at any time of the day, and Ty would be one of them on the marketing side and buying and selling cattle. Another one of mine would be Greg Wilkie, who was the president <laughs> of First National Bank. And uh, I'm going to tell you, when I was in 2012, after the drought hit, I mean, it broke me. $8 corn, and I was going around to banks, and I couldn't even get a meeting. And so it took, it's kind of funny, it's a, it was a, a wrestling connection. And, and he told me, you know, he's like, I like your mentality. I believe in you. And it started with a $250,000 note. That's all. Yep. At 3% interest, and I just... I worked my, I did everything. I, I always tell this to young guys too. You want to, you want to make money in this business, do the things that no one else wants to. Um, I kept heifers for Ty, for anybody, anybody yep. that sent me a bread heifer. I didn't even own them, yep. but I did the work and kept heifers and sold pairs for these guys. And I did it for a long time. I still do it. Um, you know, build fence and do the, do the hard work that no one wants to do. And you'll, you'll, you'll make your way out of it. There's yep. a lot of opportunity out there if you just want to put in the work. So, yep. so another issue I, I was listening to a usda report driving yesterday about just by 2040 we're going to see i think another 20 million acres and again i if i'm wrong in that estimate uh, let me know maybe i'll look it up and and clarify that after after we record this Fact conversation check. um but the cliff notes version we're going to see another 20 million acres of farmland taken out and that broken up broken up never going to be take put back into production yeah. you know paved over and I just think, especially your your work with the Rachel family mm-hmm. and, and the transition, because there's so many children out there where their parents are in their late 80s and 90s, and the only time they come back to a farmer ranch is, you know, for, for brandy and for harvest or maybe never at all. Yep. And they don't have a use for that land. And, yep. and I understand. We live in a capitalist society. If you can get top dollar, you're going to want to get top dollar. Absolutely. But young guys like me, it's tough. I unless I have uh, someone yeah. that is going to co-sponsor. Yep, that that's that, the truth. I mean, I. But how how do we have that open communication with with maybe that generation that is far removed from the ranch, but still is going to inherit it and, yeah. and have those decision making? What what what's the drink at the you know drinking at the bar conversation how how do we how do we open up that conversation about sustainability and conservation keeping this land going 
conservation easements always get brought up on those too. Absolutely. People are for, people are against. I mean, there's a lot of conversations, and I'm Highly rambling political. at this this point. But how, how do we keep ag land <laughs> in production? Yeah. And how do we keep it affordable for young producers? Because the big always get bigger because they have the equity to Absolutely. expand. Um, let's be honest with you, and I have no secrets, and I've spoke at a lot of universities to uh, ag students saying, how did you get started? How, and it, I'm going to tell you, it took, it took a young man that was hungry and passionate, yep. and I have no problem saying that. And it took, a young, or it took an older family that believed in their program, and they found a young family to affiliate that. And I'm going to be honest with you, Bill Richel threw me a bone and financed me. Yeah. for. I mean, you just don't buy a ranch at 27 years no. old. You no. just don't. And I didn't. I bought the cows, and I've slowly, every year I bought more ground and more ground. It took us five years to get there. So it took two things. It took a young, uh, enthusiastic couple that wanted to do this, and it took an older, retired couple that wanted to see this carry on. And they took a, they took a hickey to do it. Yeah. And I... I, I, you know how many times I've delivered bulls to an older couple, and they go, hey, I'm really, really interested in your deal with Bill Rischel. Tell me how what that looked like. Yeah. And I always tell them, I said, I didn't have much. I sold everything I had, and he kind of carried me for five years, and but it did, it, he didn't give it to me yeah. by, by any means. And we had no attorneys. And I'm sure people say that. Oh, you know yeah, I, I hear mean? it all the time. Yeah. And yep. if you know Bill Rischel, he didn't give me nothing. <laughs> no. I mean, that is the cheapest guy I've ever met. He still has the same underwear older than I do, I'm sure. I mean, he's just that way. And his closest friends say that. They yeah. know we, and Bill didn't hand this to us. Yep. We had to prove it. And a lot of it didn't take money. Yep. It just took a work ethic yep. and passion. And I proved to him that I was worth this, and it just got easier as time went on. So I, I'll deliver a bull. I was just down in Wyola this spring, dropped off some bulls, and the guy goes, I'm really interested in what you what you guys did with Bill Richel. How did What did that look like? And I told them the deal, and they're like, wow, that's really cool. Yep. We would like to do that for an opportunity. I called a bull customer of mine that's like 24, 25 yep. years old, put the two together, and said, hey, you know, he's moving from Nebraska maybe to go up there and help take that deal over. But there is so many of those opportunities out there yep. today for a young guy. If you'll just prove that you're, you know, honest, reliable, hardworking, they're not going to give it to you. Yep. But they want to see this carry on, and they will take – you know, they'll finance you something. There's a lot of different terms and conditions we can do out there, and that's that's huge. And it's out there. We just got to find it. And I know Extension does, you know, yep. they do transitional um, workshops and education. But how, how do we make, like, a conversation like, like you've had mm-hmm. with those folks in Wyola? Like, obviously, we're having this right now on the podcast. Right. But how do we open the eyes of those maybe the absentee landowner that grew up on the place yep how do we open up that their eyes what is it back to that sustainability conversation environmental stewardship absolutely it it does you know it it took it takes a young you know a young guy or woman that wants to do this and a a retired couple that want to see this carry on but the number one my grandpa always tells me this there's three things that kill ranches and it's snowstorms scours (laughs) and greed yep and let's be honest with you, I, 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 we both of us could not. We had to be very selfless about what this and be very transparent about what this is going to happen. Yep. And I told Bill, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never ran a registered cow. You have to stay on and help me. Yep. And he did. And he never, he took a hickey to do it. And I never paid him a dime after the initial deal. He's, he's, and he still, he still runs a block on bull sale day. Yeah. He loves it. He comes out, you know, a month, every month or two and goes through the cattle and he's still engaged. But yep. Let's be honest with you, ranchers and agriculturalists don't 
we don't do this for the money. Mm -mm. You do it because you're passionate and you love the industry. And I hope one day, like we were talking with some bull customers on the way up here, and how cool would it be to be 80 years old and just say, I'm ready to move on and not be into the day-to-day, but still be a part of the operation. And it has nothing to do with money. You know, Mm money is just a scoreboard in ag. You know, every cattle feeder I know, if they make a dime, they go and borrow two, Mm -hmm. and then they buy more cattle. That's just how this works. And it, it, that's I, I, I continue to see that. The capital deal is a huge problem. FSA's got some programs. Obviously, extension agents are putting some networking together. These opportunities are out there. And if anybody's out there listening out there, reach out. You mentioned FSA, and I had written that down twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what, what, has that been, what has that journey been like for you and your wife working through those different loans and programs that they have for young producers to try and make a go of it? And I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and they say, well, it's been a dream. Yeah. And other people, it's been a nightmare, yeah. depending on who is staffing those offices, exactly. um, just the support st- system on the, on the back end for that young producer. I, I guess, what's your experience been? And yeah. what are some suggestions that maybe you would, and, I, and I'll bring up, I know, I know you got to meet with the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. And uh, I'll ask you about that, but like, what would you tell him about the successes and improvements that should yeah. be made to programs like that? I had I had a great conversation with uh, Secretary Vilsack about a lot of like we just like a conversation you and I are having at the bar, you know, about generational transitioning, interest rates, and let's be honest with you, banking is about it's a people business. You can go borrow money; they know that too. You need to find, and that's no, it's no different with FSA. FSA, my relationship with FSA has been outstanding, but you have to be honest and transparent about what you're doing. You can go in there and loan two, you know, $250,000, no money down, mm-hmm. with 2.75% interest rates. Guys, that is a gimme, and there's a lot you can do with that. And you know what? If you pay that loan back, that then it sets you up with a real bank, and you can say, hey, I went through the FSA. They got me started. I paid the note back, did all I could, mm-hmm. went back to a real bank, and they go, okay, you're, you've got a proven track record now. Now we can make this work. And that's the way to start. FSA is, is just a small ring of the ladder until you can climb into corporate banks and, and buy some ground, buy some land. And, and uh, that's just uh, really what it takes. You just got to get started. And FSA will help you do that. But you need to find an FSA agent that is on your side yep. and on your team and then a bank as well you know my five mentors i got one in the packing industry one is a marketer one is a banker one is a cattle feeder and then bill richel i would put as my seed stock guy so um we all need those mentors but let's be honest with you bankers is the biggest part yep we can't do anything without this this capital and so having that established relationship with a bank is huge so you, you, you mentioned, obviously, you work with the Packers, and you have a different working relationship and view of them than maybe a producer up in Montana. Sure. And the last two to three years, we have seen such a push to expand capacity, um, regional uh, uh, facilities, smaller mom-and-pop facilities. Um, I had an interesting conversation on this podcast with uh, Montana Farmers Union and Mike Calicrate. Um Oh, you had Mike on? Yeah, yeah, cool. because he he's had, interesting. Uh, he, as hell. Yeah, he had uh, they had uh, Montana Farmers Union to purchase one of his semi trailers that was a mobile processing unit. Oh, They're yeah. going to put that up at Montana State University Northern Haver and have a curriculum based around it. Sweet. And so, obviously, Mike, very, very interesting background, no in, doubt, in, in different aspects of ag. Um, and his uh, food directs. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that correctly, but he's been in the direct to consumer beef business a for a long time. 
And I asked him, I said, you know, we're seeing all these plants being proposed, like in Nebraska and South Dakota, and people just have questions because a lot of capital being raised. And uh, I I guess my question is, is what happens to these plants in a few years if they're not making money and they have to be put up for sale? And and I'm not trying to poo-poo any of these ideas. I I, I respect innovation and, and people taking these risks. But is big the solution? Yeah. All right, what what is your view on that? Since you I, are surrounded by bigger packers yeah. down there, and you know, I, I one of my mentors is John Keating, who is a former CEO of Cargill, and uh, I can reach out to him at any time. He's taught me a lot about the packing industry. And let's be honest with you, these new proposed packing plants, they have to. So my favorite saying from John Keating was. You cannot go after a piece of the pie. You're not going to beat JBS, National Cargill, Tyson. You're not going to take their business and their margin from them. It won't happen. You talk about capital. I mean, a lot of these plants, when two years ago, they were kind of $200 million plants. Now they're $400 million. Yeah. That's in, I mean, it's, it's tough enough raising $2 million, more or less $400 million. So that's a, it's an incredibly, incredibly daunting task. Um, I wish them all the best, and I think they'll be fine. But they need to not take a piece of the pie. And, and they meet, They need to make the pie bigger, yeah. if that makes sense. They need to not go after their margin. They need to make the pie bigger and be a niche marketing. I think there's a huge opportunity. Um, these big packers, you know, when you kill or harvest five, 6,000 head a day, uh, they don't have the time to individually trace these back to the ranches and have that story and that sustainability. I mean, it all wraps into one. And there's a lot of marketing um, uh, margin there if you just put in the time I think these small regional plants have that opportunity to create a niche marketing and go back to the rancher it's not that hard to tie us all together today it's not we just got to do the legwork yep. and I think these small plants have a great opportunity for that I don't like the five six thousand head plants as a startup but I really like the thousand head 1500 yep. I do that are producer owned um, and I think the, those plants are coming online, obviously. And uh, there's there's a lot of retailers that love that story, that want to work with directly with us. A lot of people, I get a lot of flack from my bull customers, like, oh, man, you, you know, I see you on there with you know, Bill Rupp's a good friend of mine. He's a former CEO of JBS. And you guys, they write my check. And my relationship is very important with them. And if, you know, when cattle were falling over dead in June and they're where this heat deals killing them again and we have nowhere to go with them you need to have a friend at the packing industry that can say I'll get you in yep. we'll, we'll add you know we'll add another 100 or 200 head for you we'll get we'll get that pin gone if you don't have that relationship um, it, it's a it's a bad time to be an independent feeder well look at what uh, the lamb market is right now we've had yeah. such a hot lamb market but now you look at the capacity, they can't get these bigger lambs through here this summer. I know. And and look at what we saw this morning yeah. with that lamb sale. I mean, it, it, it's, it's pretty disheartening to watch that yeah. because the last few years, that lamb market has been hot. Wild. It's sad. I mean, the pigs went to it, too. Yep. Let's be honest, the swine industry, I mean, when those pigs get 300 pounds, they can't get them through. And you know what? A lot of these plants today in the cattle business can't handle an 1800 you know pound carcass yep. or you know hang, hanging weight yep uh they can't do it and they weren't built for it let's be honest with you agriculture has been awesome about doing more with less and we're really good at it look at the milk industry i mean that's feast or famine it's at an all-time high right now and in two years it could be a total wreck uh, yeah the past two years it's been a wreck yeah i mean it, the government was having to buy it. yeah milk yep 
and and I drink a lot of milk, so I, I do, do all like and to I support. Love <laughs> but uh, you know, we, we we were talking about exports and those trips, and, and it is eye opening. And as a farm broadcaster and a guy that's passionate about agriculture and, and having livestock myself, it's so interesting to see the different uh, agricultural producing producers out there the challenges they face like in argentina they face environmentalists yeah. they face uh the the uh the fake meat alternative uh campaigns as well um there's so much that we do have involved uh, in common with some of these producers but another thing that i always get asked is why were you why were you on this 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 why are we promoting our genetics our, our angus genetics in argentina and all those producers said well somebody else will fill that gap if we don't and Great it's still, answer. it's still money coming into our community. That's what the the Angus producers on that trip would say. Like uh, Derek Arnson was on that trip, yep. and I know Arnson Angus, yep. uh, one of one of Bill Richel's first big bulls, yeah, came out of AR Nutrient, Christina, Christina Montana there. Yep. But so that's another leads to the point of a lot of people say, why are we exporting our beef? Why aren't oh, why aren't we? And and I see this from ranchers or people that maybe grew up in egg but you, you know facebook drives me nuts because yeah, it just yeah. cultivates so much ignorance no doubt <laughs> what, what, what 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 is your experience like and, and why is it important for you to to export beef and genetics um you know this export deal like those you know rusty and rachel camp sold those 800 pound uh, steers for 218 and because they can be exported I mean, that's the bottom line. They were gapped and had all the bells and whistles, beef care. They had everything you could ask for, and those cattle go somewhere. Um, don't, you know, exporting adds a lot of value to the market, and it goes all the way from the consumer. Um, let's be honest with you. You go, you go to London. Uh, I was in London a month ago. I was in the Netherlands, and they're having a huge uproar. The government's starting to cut them back on their milk, and they're blocking. I mean, it's a trade wreck, but... When you go to these high-end restaurants, do these people look at the difference between a $40 steak and 100 Not really. And I've, I've talked to a lot of retailers. They say the best, like uh, Costco says, that uh, a cart with beef in it is their most expensive cart that leaves the store. Because yeah. they buy wine and they buy bread and desserts. And, and a lot of that stuff, you know, you go to Creekstone. Creekstone's here today. And they, they will tell you. I mean, exportable meat is a huge deal. The Japanese have figured out they love meat, and they've figured out how to grill it. Yep. And they want it. And they want high marbling, high tender, uh, tenderness involved, too. And it adds a ton of value to it. Creekstone wants my front-end fat cattle and because they know they're going to marble and have tenderness, and they're going to sell them for a huge premium. Yep. They always will. And it, that will not change. And I, if we continue to do our job as you know, ag innovators and tell our story, I think that market even gets better. I do. You mentioned you went over to the UK. Uh, I think I mentioned to the, uh, this uh, earlier that uh, Don Schiefelbein in Minnesota, mm. Schiefelbein Angus, and he's NCBA president. He was telling me that they were over there recently as well and at a restaurant, and they uh, they got to tour all the all oh, yeah. the aged yeah. beef. Yeah, and they and they asked uh, one of the guys like. You know how much U.S. beef do you go through, and they're like, we can't keep it on the shelves. It's awesome, isn't that? And it's amazing. Um, it was that way in the U.K. and, and Germany too. Yeah. Uh, you could not get enough prime to these guys, and they told us that. And there's a lot of government regulation in the way. Obviously, you know the U.K. now has left uh, the uh, you know Brexit. Obviously, they left the EU, and they're trying to figure out how to trade. But they do know they they do know. My favorite line from. Uh, 
the, is now the CEO of Tyson. He told me, Trey, I don't want more beef. I don't want more meat. I don't need any more. Yep. I need better. Yeah. I need better meat. He said, I can sell primes blindfolded, but these selects I'm giving away at cost. Yeah. And that was huge to me. Like, I don't want more meat. I want better. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of that goes to these high-end restaurants that bring $15, $16 a pound ribeyes. Yep. That adds a lot of value to our to our, to our our industry. Well, it does. And, Trey, I don't want to hold you up. I yeah, know no problem. We, we got to get running here, too. But, uh, hey, when is your guys' a sale and where yeah. can folks learn more about TD Angus? Yeah, look us up on Facebook or uh, TD Angus at Richard Ranch or tdangus.com. Um, we're going to sell about 400 Angus bulls on March 17th, St. Patty's Day, 2023. So come see us on, on Friday, March 17th. We'd love to have you. So. He's probably going to have some green beer there. Guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Trey, thank you so much. I've enjoyed our chat. We went all over. And and let's follow up and have one of these again. Yeah, thanks for all you do for the industry, Lane. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, friends, that will do it for today's uh, Lanecast Ag Podcast. Thank you to Trey Wasserberger for joining us. And it's a heck of a day here at the Northern Livestock Video Auction. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Lanecast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.